This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week's show is downright diabolical. It's episode 408 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and yes, the boys fans have been waiting for something new to watch and be excited about, and the boys, Diabolical is going to scratch that itch for you, now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. I actually got a chance to join a roundtable with one of the executive producers, Simon Rasiopa, to talk about what to expect from these eight animated shorts, and all of them are so different and so unique, and he gets some really great insight. Spoiler-free, by the way, in case you haven't had a chance to watch that yet on Amazon Prime Video. I'm also going to get a chance to catch up with Ryan Parent, who's the writer of Rogue Sun, the Radiant Black Universe expanding at Image Comics. What a cool new character this is, and I'll talk to him about his brand new comic series, what to expect from the series, from the stories as a whole, because this thing is really about to become a major superhero universe at Image Comics. Also got plenty of reviews to do this week. Going to talk about The Tourist from HBO Max. Also going to dive into the season three finale of Batwoman with spoilers, because I know you want to talk spoilers, so I'll do that, and some interesting nerd news as well. But it's time to get diabolical. Simon Rasiopa joins me to talk about The Boys next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Griffin Newman from The Tick, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to get diabolical, and it's time to get animated. The Boys presents Diabolical is now streaming on Prime Video, and so many very unique and crazy animated shorts set in the world of The Boys, whether you love the comic, whether you love the show, whether you just love something 
completely original with some characters you haven't met yet. That's that's a lot of reasons to be watching The Boys Presents Diabolical. And I got a chance to catch up with executive producer Simon Rassiopa, who joined me for a roundtable with some other journalists to talk about the series. And the first thing that I wanted to ask Simon was about the familiar faces or lack thereof that we're going to see in this new animated series. Hi, Simon. It's James from Down and Nerdy. How you doing? Good. How are you, James? Nice to meet you. Doing good, man. Nice to meet you as well. Now, we get to see some familiar faces in the series, but we also get to meet some new faces as well. So was there sort of a conscious effort not to lean too hard on those characters that we know so well from the live action series? Believe it or not, it was there wasn't an effort. It was just those were the way stories came to us. When uh, we reached out to all of our creators like Aisha Tyler, Justin Roiland, Andy Sandberg, they pitched us the ideas for the show, for the episode they wanted to do, the, the short film essentially that they were making. So that's just kind of the way it happened. We didn't actually push them either, you know, to have more characters in or not. We There were areas where we thought it made sense. You know, we're like, oh, the deep could be involved in this. So that sort of made sense. So we helped out, but there certainly wasn't, there wasn't a push to be more from the show, from the mothership or less from the mothership. It just kind of worked out that way. So the next question that came from one of the other journalists was, you know, how did these teams get chosen and how did this whole thing come about and get put together? And I love what Simon had to say about this. It started really just Evan Goldberg, who I've worked with before. I worked with him on Invincible and I've known him for a while. He came to me and was like, hey, man, we're thinking about doing like this cool spinoff of the boys, but like an anthology series with all different creators and writers coming in and participating. I was like, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I'd love to do that with you. And then we just started like spitballing a list of people whose work we really liked, people who we respected, who people, people we wanted to work with, who we had heard were fans of the show and really liked the boys. And then we just started reaching out. And it sort of helps when, you know, Seth, you know, Rogan can make those calls for you and people want to work with these guys. So it was, it was not hard putting the list together and getting people who are like, yeah, I'm available and interested. I mean, there were some, there were people who were like, we would love to do it. I just can't do it right now because I'm shooting or doing a movie so those people we will say for a hopeful potential season two all the hype's already beginning for season two and i do love that now let's take the flip side of that another journalist asked about not just working with the creators but working with the amazing acting talent that they had on the series as well i mean the actors are amazing you let them like we our cast at you know at the time it was just a dream i can't i couldn't believe the people we were lining up we were just going out and asking and people were saying yes so it was wonderful i mean and all of them bring something unique so honestly it's like give them the material talk to them about the scenes and then get out of the way and let them do what they are very very good at and then it's just picking from this sort of wealth of riches of like all these great takes and just trying to assemble the right the, all the takes together that give you the best end result so Honestly, it was it was easy. All of our cast are amazing. So, yeah, we had a wealth of amazing material to choose from. So it's hard to talk about the cast and not talk about Simon Pegg as Huey because, you know, that's the basically that's the way that they had the character pictured when they created the character in the comics. So I'm so glad that one of the journalists got to ask about Simon finally being able to voice the role that he was born to, but too old to play in live action. Honestly, it was just we reached out to Simon and he said yes. And we had a great conversation with him. And he was like, you know, he's like, for him, it was a treat because he was like, I was too old to play the role. Like he always wanted to play Wee Huey. But then just, you know, in the time it took the project to get put together and stuff, it just didn't make sense. Yeah, obviously, he was too old and it didn't work with the way the new show. I mean, I'm sure Eric Kripke could talk to you all about that, but it, it just didn't work. And obviously they brought him into the show as, you know, uh, Huey Campbell's dad. But for this, it was great. We were just like, hey, Simon, do you want to play we Huey like he is in the books and he was like yes absolutely I want to do that 
even in the depths of pandemic. And we sent a team out to record his role at his house. So super safe and everything like that. Like they assemble the, 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 the sound, uh, you know, all the recording equipment, then they leave and he comes in and we have a camera feed with him, you know, in England. And he was amazing and delightful and just knew, knew it inside and out, knew the roles. Like we didn't have to tell him anything. We just right. like went through it and like, yeah. So that was, that was wonderful. He loved it. We loved it. It was I, like, I would do it again in a second. So leave it to me to be the guy that asked the question that, that I, I think needed asking. And of course I had to preface it before I asked it. And that was about something that could possibly be involved in the live action series. So, Simon, I want to preface this by saying no spoilers, but Eric Kripke said in another interview that some of these shorts would actually be considered canon. Now, is that still the case? And will it be obvious to fans which ones might be canon? That's a really good question. I mean, obviously, it's, it's hey, listen, it's Eric's show, man. He made the mothership. He created it based off of Garth's books. He gets to decide what is canon and what is not canon. To me, they're all, you know, uniquely situated in their own little dimensions like i treat all of them like eight separate short films that are kind of standalone uh, i think it's erica is going to have to answer that and whether he will on twitter or whether he'll leave it to fans to decide i mean i think maybe some are more obviously would be more difficult to be canon you know justin roiland's episode springs to mind is being like you're probably not going to see a guy with a speaker for a head on uh the main series but but maybe i don't know eric does crazy stuff so you're gonna, have, you're gonna have to ask him after we air exactly which are canon and which are not. Talking to Simon Rassiopo, who is the executive producer of The Boys Present Diabolical, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. And when you watch this, you'll notice that there are different animation styles for each episode, which is one of the things that I really loved about it. So one of the journalists got to ask, you know, how that came about and you know how you kind of manage that. Yeah, that was a real, that was probably like a day two conversation. Initially it was like, do we do it all one style? So make it all, you know, like all like the Simpsons or like Invincible or do we different do different styles for every episode, which is much more difficult, especially on our schedule, just because the amount of, instead of getting to design something once, you have to design it eight times. Instead of hiring one composer, you hire eight composers. And that it's even more worth that because you have to source the right person. You have to find, so for every composer you hire, you probably, we probably looked at six or seven. So times that by eight, and we're looking at like, you know, you're looking at 40, 50 people out of a pool of people to find those eight people you want for an episode. So we knew it was going to be a tremendous amount of extra work, but as we started to talk about the scripts and the ideas and what we want to do with the series, it didn't seem like there was any other way to do it properly. Because when you were having scripts and stories coming in from like Justin Roiland and then from Andy Samberg and then, you know, from the Blazers and from Aquafina, there was no single animation style that would execute on all those ideas as well as you want as we wanted to do it would have meant changing them all watering them down and and not letting them be as true to those stories and those creators as possible so it was it was a difficult decision but it was a very early decision we made and boy you want to talk about unique and the boys is already unique anyway but you watch these animated shorts and boy is it is it crazy it's gory it's so the boys even amped up a little more in some instances too and there's times where i saw it and i'm like there's no way you could have done that in live action this you could only do this in animation that's one of the beauty parts of animation that's why i'm so happy that the boys presents diabolical exists and i, I think there's going to be a season two this is my opinion i think there's going to be a season two i think that there's going to be a hunger for this from fans once you see it and if you haven't seen it already it, it's a quick binge take the time to watch it don't make sure the kids aren't around. This definitely isn't kid friendly. Watching the boys dot presents diabolical 
on Prime Video. Again, thanks to Simon and Rascopia for joining me to talk about The Boys Presents Diabolical. Also, thanks to the amazing journalists who are part of the roundtable. I want to just give a shout-out to Elias, the Man Cave Chronicles, of course, Monica from Temple of Geek, Greg from Fanboy Nation, so many others, and, and from the hashtag show as well for asking some great questions and being great roundtable partners. I appreciate it. Up next, season three of Batwoman has come to a close, and boy, am I ready to talk about spoilers from that finale. So I'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Camila Moreno from The CW's Naomi, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Families coming back together, ships sailing, all kinds of things happening in season three finale of Batwoman. Yeah, I want to give my spoiler-filled review of this thing. It is my impressions of the season as well. A lot happened in this episode. And I will say probably the second best episode of Batwoman maybe ever. And I'm rating it second only to Broken Toys just because of how major that episode was. And again, how great Cameron Johnson was. Actually, make sure you go back a couple episodes. Hear my interview with Cameron Johnson about that episode. But this one really was the can they stop Marcus from A, destroying the city and B, Basically outing Ryan as Batwoman and that that's there was basically a race against the clock and the Joker bomb that could possibly go off over the city and how are they gonna overcome this thing? Now I don't want to get into every little aspect of the episode, but there were some major moments that I do want to talk about. And I wanna I wanna hit Wildmore fans first, because I know how much you guys love, love, love your ship, and I wanna talk about it. So there's a major moment in this episode, at least for me, and it's not at the end. When they kind of, I, don't, I hate the term make it official, but that's, that's kind of where they're at with this. But there was a major moment when Ryan is, of course, as Batwoman, getting ready to basically take one for the team as it, as it comes to, you know, getting this Joker bomb out of the city. And Sophie says, overcomes. Now, I don't remember the exact quote, so don't, don't kill me on that. But something along the lines of, I can't lose you, Ryan. And... She, you see Ryan pause, and, and she says something along the lines of, nobody's ever said that to me before. And it's that moment where, and I'm sure that her adopted mother felt that way at one point or another, right? And had said that to her, so I'm, follow me on this, okay? This is major because Ryan's not used to this, and she talks about her trepidations about wanting to get involved with anyone or anything like that. And then Sophie's trepidations on the other side of that in being in an out relationship, as she talked about in a previous episode. So to get that out there in that spontaneous moment to me was the we're doing this moment. It, the, you could say that they already had that moment, maybe. But this is a deeper level of commitment here to this relationship long term and, and not just for fans, but for the show. This is something that they're going to commit to and, and see where it goes long term and this is something that you can explore in a potential fourth season big time now because you had that moment that is a level of commitment that they hadn't yet reached and so that is a big big moment for Wildmore fans at least in my estimation I know you'll tell me if I'm right or wrong on social media because you've never been shy about sharing your opinions before and I do love that Ryan also has a big family moment though and it's not just with Jada because Jada finally realizes that she could trust Ryan and she gives Ryan that validation that she didn't have about saying that even though I gave you up, basically you exceeded my wildest expectations. And again, I still don't think Jada gets a pass for giving Ryan up. I'm sorry. I understand why she did it and all that stuff. I don't know that she gets a pass on that. But if I look at this objectively and think, are they going to be one big happy family now 
that things have worked out with Marcus. I don't know because I think there's a lot of repairing to do with Marcus, not just publicly, but within the family as well. It's hard to walk that back, right? I know that everything that happened with Mary when she was poison ivy with the bat team and things like that, maybe they walked that back pretty easily. But Marcus, that was another level. And there's going to be a lot of repairing that needs to be done in a lot of different ways. But can we just give a freaking round of applause to Nick Cregan for a second? How fantastic was he as Marcus Jett in this season? I don't think he's getting enough credit, quite frankly, because this is about as Joker-esque as you can get. And boy, did he push the limits of this character, but also adding his new flavor to it. I really, really love what he did. And I'm actually mad at myself for not talking about it more. That's how good he was. And that's why I'm kind of, I know this is, this is kind of evil on my part. I'm kind of sad that they actually got this corrected in the finale, because this is a villain that I could have easily seen carry over. So I guess what's more important to you? Is it that Ryan potentially now finally has her family or is it more important to have a carryover villain that's going to have that personal connection the entire time, right? Because it could have been really personal between Marcus and Ryan going forward. And that's sometimes the best villain relationships. That's why Alice worked so well with Kate, right? And Alice worked so well with Ryan in a certain respect too. But now we're kind of pushing that aside as well. And I'll get to that more about that in a second. But now we're pushing that aside as well as, as Alice goes off to try and be Beth again and better herself. So now we're taking two very personal villains off the table. And now where do you go in a potential fourth season? We see a little bit of a tease at the end of, of season three and, and how that's going to affect things and where they crashed the the the, the bat blimp with, with Joker on the Joker toxin inside and all that stuff. So So we know that there's certainly a way to go, but to me, the personal villains are the best. That's why you look back at, at other Arrowverse series. That's why it's hard to let go of Eobard Thon. That's why it's hard to let go of a Malcolm Merlin because of the personal connection that these villains have to your hero and to the team as a whole. So to cut both of those in one episode, I think might be a little tough going forward. I know the show can pull it off. I'm not saying it can't. But I'm just saying that I, I, I think leaving both behind in the same episode, and they've been heroing Beth up a little bit for a while. I mean, excuse me, Alice up for a while. And Rachel Skarsden's done a fantastic job. But to, to, to lose them both in the same episode, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they can make it. Because it's hard to top that. You, you found a way to top. I, I don't want to say top because I don't know that you top Alice. But you find a way to at least be on the level of the villain that you have with Alice in Marcus in season three. So you had that much, and I give them a lot of credit for that, but now it's how do you top that, or do you even try to top that in a fourth season? To me, that's going to be difficult, but my, my mind is open on that. So then you've got this relationship between Alice and Mary, which is one I didn't realize I needed, and and the fact that Nicole and Rachel played so well off of each other during this time, when they're kind of sisters but not sisters, right? And it's really, really interesting how that whole thing played out and how Mary eventually does end up helping Alice, whether she likes it or not, 
sort of thing. And will she get the help that she needs? And and will Beth be an interesting character on the show if she becomes Beth? And I, I say that as a fan of the show, not as a human being. Because obviously, as a human being, you would want somebody to get better, get back to their old self and get that validation, right? But I'll miss Alice as a character. So will Beth be just as interesting of a character? I have a hard time believing that. But what angle does that take, too, is also a potential thing. So, again, something to keep your mind open about. But those moments between Mary and Alice I really loved. Also, Luke leaving the AI behind to save the day I thought was really important. And a moment where... Cameras talked to me in my interview about how it's hard for him to move on from his dad's death because of the AI. And now leaving that behind in his biggest hero moment as Batwing so far, leaving that behind and now he's his own man sort of thing. I thought that was a big moment for Luke, but I also thought that it was very empowering as well. And maybe Luke can finally move on. And you see that glimmer, right, between Luke and Mary where, where Luke says, I missed this. And, and basically talking about the two of them. And is that something we're finally going to explore in a potential fourth season? Because to me, that one's been coming, too. I know that Wildmore gets the headlines, but uh, what do we call them? Foxy, maybe? I don't know. Is there a ship name for Mary and, and Luke yet? I think Foxy's a good one if we don't have one yet. So are we going to explore that in a, in a fourth season as well? And again, this is all potential, right? We don't know that there's going to be a fourth season of Batwoman yet, but there's a lot of story here left to tell. And I think the show's done a very good job at evolving and just making itself new again. And I think we're going to see a lot more and a lot better from Batwoman in the future because there's potential here. It's going to be hard to top this third season because I think it's 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 the strongest yet as as an overall story. But I'm very very excited to see where this is going to go and where this these relationships just both romantic and interpersonal take shape that's gonna do it for my spoiler filled review of the batwoman season three finale up next how about we get a little tourism and we'll talk about the tourist from hbo max that's gonna be spoiler free review next on the down and nerdy podcast contained herein are the heresies of radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator join me as i uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is Allison Aria from DC's Peacemaker, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy. When your road trip is not exactly one to put in the memory banks, The Tourist is now streaming on HBO Max, I wanted to give you my spoiler-free review of this thing. I mean, I know it's it's been out for like 24 hours. I'm not going to be that guy that spoils it for you in case you haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Or maybe you're on the fence. So here you go. Basically, it's the story of a guy who's played by Jamie Dornan. I say a guy because he's lost his memory. He has no idea what's going on. He thinks he's going to have a fun road trip through the Australian outback. And then he gets almost run off the freaking road. Like, does get run off the freaking road by a semi and ends up in the hospital. So then you got to basically follow the clues to, you know, who was I? Why was I going where I was going? What is it that I was supposed to be doing? And there's a lot of pretty intense stuff that he finds out really, really early on. And he gets some help and he gets some not so much help. And there's also the investigation into what exactly happened to him. That's also a part of this as well. It's going to be really hard to talk about this without spoiling anything plot wise. But I will say that. 
They, that there's in in the beginning anyway. There, you you go down one very particular rabbit hole of who is he and what what's going on with him, but then you also go down the mystery of okay, as you're finding out more about him and he's finding out more about himself, you know, there's a there's a couple of different avenues that this goes down, and and it's almost like there are times where I feel like I'm being pulled in a, a little bit too many directions. In a weird way, it's not hard to follow. It's just a, okay, are we focusing on this or are we focusing on this? Or should we try to focus on everything at once? And is that the smart thing to do? Should this have been a step-by-step? Now, granted, we're talking about six episodes here. So it's not like you get a whole lot of time to, to flesh out one story and move into the next. I understand that. But at the same time, you know, there's the, okay, so who am I? Who tried to run me off the road? Why does somebody want me dead? And why was I doing this, that, and the other thing? Do all of those things connect? I mean, you'll have to watch the show to find that out. But again, in the beginning, it's not clear what what exactly you should be focused more on. And maybe it's a, it's a short attention span type of thing where you should be able to navigate all of these things together. So may, maybe that's part of the problem. Is that you're too used to being linear focused on one thing and this show saying you need to focus on a few different things. And maybe that's a good thing, too, because you're trying to spot little things here and there as well, which is something you're definitely going to need to do. But I got to tell you, the, the chemistry between Jamie Dornan and Shalom Brune Franklin's character of Lucy is really great, man. I love the way that these two characters play off of each other. It's one of my favorite parts about the show is when you see those two connect and early on in, the, in this first season, it's really, really neat chemistry. But I got to tell you, the one character I think I root for the most is Helen, Helen Chambers. She's the officer slash detective that's that's kind of assigned to his case, to, to the man's case, and to find out exactly what happened to Jamie Dornan's character and to find out what happened with the accident and kind of unravel everything. And I got to tell you, there, there, there is a, a quote-unquote villain for the show, if you want to call it that. But I got to tell you, the the biggest asshole of this entire show is Ethan, and that is, I guess, Helen's fiance. You want to call him, and, and played by Greg Larson. No, no offense to Greg Larson, you did a great job, man. But if you, you're gonna hate Ethan in this show, I'm just gonna tell you that right now, and. and early on you're like okay you understand I understand why he's frustrated but then as things start to go on and and, and more and more episodes you go this guy's just an ass you know and, and he's not nice to Helen and and it's not okay because Helen's such a wonderful person and you you just really you really grow to love Helen right away I'm just saying she's one of those instantly likable characters and Daniel McDonald's one of the big reasons for that but I, I'm just saying that 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 Ethan's a character you're not going to like very much. I'm just going to put that out there right now. And boy, the, the character of Billy, and you'll meet Billy pretty early on too, very, very bizarre. Just one of those characters where you, you know he's a psycho. You just know he's a psycho by some of the stuff he says and how he carries on and things like that. And yeah, he's going to play a big role in the show as well. I can tell you to make sure you keep your eye on him. And then there's just these characters here and there that you kind of meet throughout the series that sort of help to kind of unwrap the mystery little bit by little bit. But your core characters that stick with things, I think it's more for character purposes than than anything else, quite frankly. And 
you know, is Jamie Dor- Dornan's character a character that you're going to root for or not? And and how much is that going to affect your enjoyment of the series? That's something you're going to have to decide when you're watching this thing. Me personally, yeah, I wanted to know what happened to him. And there's a twist, I think, in episode two where you find out something about him. And you go, oh, well, that certainly makes things more interesting. But is it something that's going to make you like him and want him to figure out what happened to him? I don't know. Or is the mystery more important than you liking the character? Or is the mystery something you're not as interested in as you are just being a fan of Jamie Dornan and wanting to see his character? Again, something you're going to have to decide. I'm decidedly on the fence. And that's a weird thing to say. Maybe that's an oxymoron. But I'm on the fence about the tourist. There's things that I like about it. And then there's things that I wish they could have done a little bit better. But I will say, overall, it's a it's a decent mystery. It's cool to see, like, small-town Australian Outback. I think the setting is a huge star of this show because it's that's one of the things that makes the show unique is that the setting is not one that you see very often. And it's it's very, very refreshing. So in a, in a, in a show where you've got this amnesia mystery, you're like, I've seen that a million freaking times. This whole amnesia thing, I don't like it. Well, give it a chance because the setting is really neat. The characters are very, very different from what you would usually see in a series like this. And it's those character moments in the setting that I think make this a little bit more intriguing than you would think it would be. So make sure you're watching The Tourist, which is now streaming on HBO Max. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of The Tourist. Up next, hey, let's talk to Ryan Parrott about Rogue Sun, his brand-new Image comic series and the future of superheroes. In Image Comics, I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is writer Kyle Higgins, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, in case you didn't know, there's some new superheroes in town at Image Comics. It's actually pretty exciting, because if you're a fan of Radiant Black, there's a, there's another hero that's a part of that universe now called Rogue Son. You might have read that in Supermassive recently. And, you know, when it's something that awesome, you know that this guy's got to be involved with it right it's ryan parrot ryan what's up man good to have you back it's good to be back man thank you <laughs> so when i first saw rogue son in supermassive which is you know you worked with kyle higgins mm-hmm. on that um it was just it, the character just pops right out and it just seemed to fit so well so you and kyle worked together before so take us behind the scenes a little, a little bit how did this all come about well yeah like you said kyle and i've been i've known kyle since college before we, either one of us worked in comic books and so we've been talking about doing stuff together for a really long time and we got a we got a chance to do a little bit of that with the power rangers with shadow grid but then once he once he left once he's based once he'd done shadow grid he was like there's there's no other stories left for me to tell i can't do anything bigger so he went off and was like i'm gonna do my own my own version of the power rangers sort of basically his own power ranger sentai world um at image and so as we were like hanging out and being friends about that you know stuff i went to a football game and he was like you know i'm having a great time doing this book like it's a really fun he's like you should do an image superhero book and we t- i talked about doing a superhero book for a while but then it was like this weird moment of like wait i could do it at, at image because like i was i was 13 when image came out and i bought every single book and i was like wait that would just be that would be like a little that's just like i can't i can't i don't know if i can do that but he was like it'll be great let's do that so i was like well, okay uh, so i pitched him an idea that i had and he was like that let's do that and so that's sort of how it just started it was just us hanging out at a football game and then when we started when we started figuring out like okay if you're gonna it's obviously there's thousands of options out there so it's like if you're gonna create a new superhero how do you do it in a way that will actually make some noise or actually cut through some of the 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 fog a little bit and so he's like well we should do it like a big crossover event like we were thinking about how like 
when I was a kid, I would read like, you know, if I read Batman and Swamp Thing wandered in, I'd be like, who's this guy? And that's how I'd learn about other heroes. So we're like, well, let's do the same thing. We'll do a, a big crossover with you and me and our friend's book, uh, uh, Matt Groom's book, Inferno Go Red. And we'll just come out of there. And then if people like that, we can just sort of, you know, you can segue right into your book. So it just seemed like a natural fit kind of going back to like the old school way of doing stuff. I think it was just, and also the fact that it's a 30th anniversary of image, they seemed really gung-ho to sort of go back to their roots a little bit. So that it all just, all the pieces sort of lined up. And I was like, I'd be crazy not to do a book. You know, it's funny too, because what you're creating, Ryan, is like 10, 15 years from now is when collectors are trying to figure out what the per first appearance of Rogue Son was. <laughs> now you're going to have them track it. It's like, it's like people f trying to find the first appearance of Harley Quinn all over again, where you're going to try and track down, or, or Swamp Thing's a great example, uh, Constantine. Yeah. Being, exactly. the, being the first appearance, that's a perfect example. So you're just creating a hunt for collectors in like a decade or so. Yeah, we try to make their lives as hard as possible in 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the goal, actually. Yeah. Get your graded books now is what he said. <laughs> uh, actually, I want to talk about that. You touched on it here a second ago. You're, you know, you're know, you creating a new superhero, and I'm sure that that's really fun. But I'm sure there's a lot of challenges with that as well. So what's the process like, like coming up with the costume design and the power set and stuff like that? Because like you said, you want to try and make it as original as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've been lucky enough to work on a lot of licensed properties. And then the nice thing about those is those were already taken care of. Like I, I, they, you know, I, the Power Rangers were already assembled. I just had to, you know, put some boards in their mouth. So like, that's, that's the easy stuff, but you learn a little bit as you go through, you know, when you start creating new characters in that world and you're like, okay, the process of, you know, sending over a description to an artist and they bring it all back. But I think creating a new hero it's I got one. I got really lucky. Kyle gave when I before we started, I was like, you know, I, I got to find the right artist or this isn't going to work. And he's like, I got a guy. And so he literally sent me Abel's work. And he was, I was like, this guy's he's not a, he's available. No one else has got him because his stuff. I've said this before, but his stuff looks like, you know, like Sean Murphy mixed with like Dan Mora. Oh, he's, yes. You, that, that, is, that is a great description. Yeah, he's got that. He's got that. Just the way the way the where he puts the camera or the where he the way he angles the panels like it just has that vibe to it. Mm -hmm. and, and I and so I was like, this guy's amazing. And he's so much fun to work with. I, I told him when we were designing the character, well, like he read the outline because I wrote I broke the first five or six issues without really knowing what the character looked like. I knew I knew it was going to be a hero in my head, but I didn't really have it all broken down. So we were talking about it. And we did the first I said, I was like, hey, he's like, what is it? What's Rogue Sun look like? I'm like, I don't know. I think maybe he's like a knight that's on fire. And he was like, I gotcha. And so he sent me one drawing of a night that was, he showed me that drawing of that design and that's it. We didn't change it. I think I was like, can we turn the fire up a little bit? And because I was like, let's give it like a ghostwriter feel where it comes out of that stuff. Like, you know, and so that was it. And that was the design. And that has never happened to me before. I doubt it will ever happen to me again that we'll be able to do it in one in one thing. That's that's crazy, man. They, 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 did you see that? And you're like, that's the one. That's it. That was it. It wow. was like, oh, it was better than anything in my head. Because I like the, I think one of the hardest things to do when you're creating a new hero is to find a look that feels and I don't want to I'm not trying to I, this sounds like I'm being conceited about it but like that feels like it's been around for a really long time that mm -hmm. feels different and new and has its own sort of style to it and I think what what I like so much about Rogue Sun is you look at it you're like I feel like that superhero has been around for a little while and I love the fire like one of the fun things about you know when you do a, a, an original book is you get to do all these variants for each issue like you're like oh let's do some variant covers you get to call all your friends your artists people you've never talked to like Brett, Brett Booth I grew up loving his work and I just like Kyle knew him when they worked on Nightwing and I was like hey he wouldn't he wouldn't be available to do a cover would he and he was like let me 
me see. And he called him and I sent him the design. He's like, oh, I like this cover. Like, I like this design. Yeah, I'll do one. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> and so like, I get those people drawing and showing me their interpretation of your character. And it's like, every time you get a new one, it's just like, wow. And, and I feel like what's been fun is a lot of the artists have been like, they, I think they just really like drawing all that crazy fire. And, oh yeah, and no doubt. Yeah, it's like, so it's like the fact that you get an artist who wants to do it is really fun. So I feel like that's that's hard to do. I, I think that's mm -hmm. probably, honestly, I think with as much as that's, I, I think I lucked into a very, very cool design, which I'm very happy with. So on the flip side of that, you also have villains that you need to create as well. So how much can you tease for us about the kinds of villains that we can expect? I know that we see the word supernatural in the in the description of the first issue, but what kind of villains are we talking here? Well, yeah, I mean, that, I think the way I've been pitching it into to Abel is I was like, let's go punk rock supernatural. And my idea was like, you know, it's set in New Orleans, which already has sort of that the undertones of the supernatural already there. And I liked the idea of a night that was he, he feels he feels like he matches the idea. Like you could see that guy fighting werewolves and vampires and zombies. You can see that style of stuff. I, I thought it would be weird if he was fighting somebody who was like dressed in an American flag. That doesn't seem like that works really well. So I wanted to make sure that the villain and the hero sort of mix together. And so I liked the idea. And so what I've been trying to do is find sort of subversive ways, not, you know, new new versions of of sort of the existing tropes. Like I, in the second issue, we have a character named Billy Blood Moon who is uh, half vampire, half werewolf. And he's I'm part so of like glad you picked that one. <laughs> it's, it's fun, right? It's, I yeah. love the alliteration of it. Just Billy Blood Moon, man. It just sounds, it sounds like a person. It sounds dark. It sounds you like you brought a out your inner Stan Lee with that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like he's a character and he's fun. And the Demonica shows up later on and she's sort of like this like half goth sort of like suck your soul through your chest kind of stuff. Like, I don't know. It's like, that's fun. And then the, my favorite thing about it is like for villains is like I have a in the third issue, we see like a supernatural version of Arkham Asylum. And because I love that idea that that because the idea is that Rogue Son is a legacy hero. His father was was a superhero. And now mm -hmm. Dylan's Dylan's getting those powers. So there's a whole all the villains that he's ever fought are locked away in this supernatural Arkham Asylum. And he's going to have to deal with that. So I love, cause isn't the best part of every Batman comic book when he would go to Arkham and he'd walk down like a long hallway and you just see all the villains want like in the thing, like every artist oh, just yeah. wanted to And so I want to do that. And so you'll, in the third issue, you're going to see a lot of other people and, and, and the idea that my rogues gallery has already been full. It's not going to be like they're like, he's got, he's got 30 years of villains. He's going to have to face off with. So I got, you know, some big shoes to fill. So it'll be hopefully come up with a whole bunch of different new ones. For that which is super super cool cool i don't think the title rogue son is an accident and i say that after reading the issues because it's like you could easily replace the u with an o in sun and i really felt like metaphorically i felt like oh i saw what he did there so how much can you tell us about dylan yeah i'm not subtle there i think at one point we actually had a logo where the with the o the u was actually like a a, a sun that had been broke broken so he could look like oh, an o and e at the same time see that and would I was, have been really cool i know but the, re, the retailers would have killed me because they'd be like what's how do you spell it man what's wrong with it so we, yeah, as long as they know how to put it in the pole box it's fine. exactly yeah <laughs> uh but yeah so 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 the story the general pitch of the story is is that it's about a, a sort of a rebellious teenager who you know his father left when he was two he's not been he's not a particularly good kid when you meet him he's, he's pushing a kid he's got a kid trapped in a locker but what i liked about most of these stories is the fact that most superhero stories follow the kid in the locker and so i wanted to follow the story about the kid who put him in there i wanted to do a flash thompson story you know which you know is a little dangerous because he's not a nice guy and people might not like him going in but I think once you get to learn more about him and you learn about his background, you'll start to understand why he is the way he is. And so what happens is in the first issue, his father passes away and he leaves. He finds out that his dad was a superhero and he's left him his powers and the mantle. And so going forward, he actually has to 
in order to become a superhero, he has to learn about the guy he's spent his entire life hating. And how do you get the validation from somebody like that when they aren't there to give it to you anymore? You know, like you, how do you not, how do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you, he has to learn about that guy. And I love that story. That to me, that's where rogue son came from. That's why, you know, like I said, that's where the title came from. You know, I'm not being subtle. I don't think so, but I, I think maybe I'm being too clever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I picked up on it pretty quickly. So I, yeah, yeah I think that, uh, I think, I think it's interesting. As a matter of fact, the, the, family dynamic in this in, in the first early on anyway i don't want to spoil anything but family dynamics very interesting that's at play here now how much is that dynamic going to be a factor in future issues because i feel like at least early on it's going to be that's a great question and i'm glad i got to answer that this is a family story like my parents when i was a kid my parents uh, divorced when i was like five or six and both of them remarried and both of those family members have other kids so i have I have a, I have four or five, I have, I have a lot of stepbrothers and sisters. And when you would go back and forth, there's a lot that changes the power dynamic. And so what I really liked about this story was it, you get to see Dylan dealing with not only the loss of his dad, but also he has this other family of a stepmother and two half brother and sisters that he has to deal with and who were not given the power that, that were raised by his dad and love him, his father, loved his father very much. But for some reason, his father did not give them the superpower, the, the powers. And how do they feel about that? And why? And does he, ha how would, how much? And so he has to sort of manage those people, their expectations. And that's been really the, that's the fun stuff of this whole thing is, is like, I don't want to say this without it might give the, but like a really super dysfunctional bat family is definitely the, uh, the vibe that I'm going for. Then you nailed it. There's no okay. question about that. <laughs> Talking to Ryan Parrott, who's the creator and writer of Rogue Son from Image Comics, which we'll see in early March coming up here pretty soon for issue one. Now, you talked about New Orleans, Ryan, and I love the fact that you set this story in New Orleans. What makes that the perfect backdrop for a superhero story? One for me, it's real personal. Like I, I, I got to go out there for two weeks. My wife was working on the TV show Preacher. She was a writer on that show. Yeah, I know she's way better than me. <laughs> so I got to go out there for two weeks while she was doing her on in season two, and I just hung out and gone to wander the city and wrote from there. And I just fell in love with it because I think it. There's no city that looks like it. You see a a, a building in New Orleans, you know it's in New Orleans. It's that gothic architecture, and it's it's such a cool thing because you got this vibrant sort of like tourist area in the middle, and then as you move farther out there's just so much history there's so much everything it's, it's got this sort of like there's like a lot of supernatural subtones you know you've got ghost tours all around the town and all this like and it's and it's got so much you know, two three hundred years of history and then you've got you've got sort of the voodoo element that's already there a little bit and i think the the coolest thing for me it's something that i got to keep trying to tell Abel we don't have to do it in every issue but i keep doing it is um because it's below sea level you have all of those above above ground graves that are just so much fun to draw so i feel like that stuff's really great and then you know so that, that i thought there was that and then the fact that i proposed to my wife there seemed like a good idea so we can just keep using the excuse to go back to new orleans for a reason <laughs> so what you're saying is, is when this gets adapted, you have to shoot it in New Orleans. You have to. You couldn't not do no, that. You yeah. Can't. yeah, yeah. At this point, you're, you're pretty and, much stuck with that. And that's not. A and it would thing. be New Orleans for New Orleans, as opposed to New Orleans pretending to be Chicago, yes. or New York or whatever that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So we know that Dylan was not the first rogue son. You mentioned that a couple of minutes ago. Are we going to get to learn a little bit more about Marcus as well? in these future issues too. Yes, Marcus will play Mark who Marcus was and how Marcus feels about everything, what kind of 
person he was, we'll learn about him as, as Dylan learns about him. I and mean, he will play a huge part in the series. You know, like in, the one thing I can kind of spoil a little bit is in, in, Super, in uh, Super Massive, you're actually going to get to meet Marcus. He's the rogue son under the helmet in that, in that series. So what's really fun about that is you'll get to know him and learn about him a little bit and see him in action. And then when you read Rogue Son, number one, you'll get to see that transition. So you get to feel both generations. And hopefully you'll see a difference in the way that they both handle things, the way that they are, even the way that the, and this is something I thought was really fun, is even the way that the, the outfits look will be slightly different. Because the, when you take the mantle on, it does sort of tweak the design a little bit. So, and then the other thing that I thought was really fun is this is a story about characters passing powers down from, from fam from person to person. So who's to say that who passed it down to Marcus, who passed it down to the man before him, it is a knight. I, has that thing been around for 200 years? Have there been 50 of these things? Like, I really like that. I, I, I'm a huge fan of, of Matt Fraction's Iron Fist run. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love legacy heroes and I wanted to make my own. And so what's really fun about, you know, giving this sort of this knight element is there, that literally I could do a story in the 1700s and I would, will, will, probably will at some point. That'd be really cool. So I, I like the idea of, the, of, of, a, of a superhero thing that has all this baked in history that I can unpack as the series goes. Man, did you literally answer my next question that was- oh. Oh, great. Like, I'm you, sorry. You literally, just, I don't even know. I don't even need to ask it anymore because you, <laughs> you served it up to me on a silver platter. I just thought I just love the fact that you fought the urge to say pass the torch for Rogue Son. So that was oh. uh, you, you, you. Well, I somebody had to say it. And oh, I no. I mean, why did I? How did I miss that? I'm going to steal that. <laughs> well, uh, how can I, I not said, say pass the torch? Somebody had to say it. And, and, and now it's out there. Well played. So are there any plans, though? Because I'm sure there's a fine line here because you've got Radiant Black. You've got Infernal Girl as well. Uh, are there any plans for more crossovers in the future? Could we see maybe a bit of a Justice League vibe or maybe a world's finest vibe in runs maybe in the future? I mean, I think, look, I think if, if uh, we'll find out if I get past six issues, <laughs> like if, if, if people like Rogue Sun and I get to do this for a little while, I wouldn't put it in. I, I would say everything's up for, up for grabs. And I also feel like that's the nice the nice thing about what we what Matt and Kyle and I have been doing with with Supermassive is that because we're already friends, like we just text each other and call each other already. And so we're all doing our own books. We're all telling our own own stories. But like we like the other day I was working on a page and I was like, hey, man, can I use this thing from your book? And he's like, absolutely. And he's like, oh, I've got this coming up in this shoe. Da, da, da. Like you could try that, too. And I was like, great. So we just do that. There's like a, there's a back and forth in the in the So there's no boss, but we all just work to each other. So whenever we need something, we ask each other. So I think one thing that's really fun is the idea is like I think we want to lean into this shared universe as much as possible. I think we've learned very quickly that that's a lot of what fans love they like that they like the idea that their characters the those heroes know each other that they are connected with one each other the more i think we can feel like a a solid world where everybody is that all the, like each book of ours the way we've been talking about it is like like we have the massive verse as we call it but all of our characters embody sort are sort of located in one little corner, but those corners, hopefully as we go longer, those corners will mesh a little bit more. They'll smooth over. I mean, I would love to do if supermassive does well, I'd love to do one to one down the road again. That'd be really cool. I also like the idea of just like, you know, Hey, Hey, can I have radiant black show up for a panel in my book? And it's just because, you know, he I'm up. He's my guys near Chicago. That would happen. Like we can do, we can do that. That's the nice thing about us being buddies is that we can actually pull that stuff off. So hopefully going forward, we'll do a lot more of that. Well, definitely fingers crossed for that. Uh, Ryan, before I let you go, what are your hopes for the future of Rogue Son? Why do you think this character just has that ability to really grab fans and draw them in? I mean, it's it's very personal to me. Like, I, I, I think one of the things that I learned writing Power Rangers for the last 
three or four years is that, you know, you've got to find a story that you actually care about and hopefully have a point of view on that you think is, you know, is good. Like everybody, anybody can write a story that's about how teamwork is good. You know, like that's not a hard theme to deal with. But I think, you know, if you can find a personal story that is about how, how what's it like to try and walk into the footsteps of your dad, who everybody thinks is a hero, but you think is a son of a bitch. Like, what's that like? I like, that's an interesting story to me. And so I think that I'm trying to find, you know, I've, I spent three years learning the rules of storytelling. And now my goal hopefully is to break them a little bit. And I think everybody has so many options when it comes to reading superhero books out there. I think I owe it to them to go, Hey, if you want, if, if I'm expecting you to come and jump on with a new character and a new journey, I owe you taking risks. I owe you flipping stuff on its head. If I just give you a ABCD storytelling, I shouldn't expect you to stay around. So I think what it's cool for me is it's challenging me, hopefully to to take some big swings and to say stuff that hopefully will matter and so like that would be the goal for me hopefully is 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 use rogue son to not only be able to tell stories that i've always wanted to but also find the stories that i didn't know i wanted to tell so for me it's a little bit of that and and hopefully and it would just be really wonderful to be able to do you know i think everybody who i love comics i'm just like everybody else i read comics i love comics and i think the idea that i could put a brick in the wall of superheroes that would last that maybe would be around for 30 years and maybe someone else could want to write with down the line. That would be really amazing. I think that's all we really want to do. Right. It's like, you know, you want to pass something on to the next generation. And I got so much from the founders of image. I, I've said this before and I thought it was really fun. It's like in the same way that Dylan wants his father's like love and admiration and approval. I desperately want the approval of the founders of image. I want them. I'd be amazing if Eric and Todd and Jim and all those guys read broke. Some were like, Oh yeah, that's really good. I'm like, yes. I did it. <laughs> Future pull quotes coming, boys and girls. Just just be ready for that on the on that back cover on the inside cover cuz it, it's coming. But it also he's he talked about the bricks. Well, the first brick is super massive. If you haven't picked that up, make sure you get that at your local comic book shop or your favorite digital retailer. And that's going to be in late February. But then in early March, a week or so later, Rogue Sun at number 1 going to be available from Image Comics. But just so much great stuff to look forward to. You're really going to love this character. I have a feeling it's Rogue Son and Ryan Perry. Thank you so much, man, for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. And the good news is I can update you now since the book, since this interview happened well before the book was released. That Yes, the book is available now at your local shops and digital retailers. So you can go ahead and get Supermassive and Rogue Son number one at the same time if you haven't already. Again, thanks to Ryan Perry for joining me this week to talk about Rogue Son from Image Comics. Up next, we're going to tap into the latest nerd news on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You want to see the Batman? You might have to borrow a couple of extra bucks from Bruce Wayne. It's time for nerd news, and I know that the Batman is here in theaters right now. Review going to be coming next week because I want to be able to talk spoilers, and I want to be able to give you a week to see it. But here's one thing that's going to happen if you try to go see this movie at AMC theaters. In case you haven't noticed, AMC is actually charging more for the Batman than some of their other movies. Now, granted, it's like a buck or two more. This was announced by their CEO and confirmed not too long ago, a couple of days ago. That doesn't matter. I could read you statements and try to be Mr. Mister Newsy and all that. I don't care about that, okay? Let's just talk about the facts as they stand right now. Is that after everything that's happened over the last couple of years and people still easing their way into going back to the movies and all this talk about the theatrical experience and all the turmoil and all the, you know, is this the death of cinema, blah, blah, blah. And this is the time you want to pull this. Not good timing as far as I'm concerned. It's a bad look 
And there, there's a couple sides to this argument, okay? And I'm, I'm going to address them both. And I'm going to start with, obviously, the, the how, how dare you do this sort of thing. Because what you're doing is, is not only is this for the consumer, you say to yourself, okay, so if I want to see a big budget movie like a Marvel movie or the Batman or something like that, I'm going to have to pay more. And how much more am I going to have to pay over time? And aren't you kind of tired of paying more for stuff? Isn't that the world we live in right now? We're already frustrated about all the things we have to pay more for. Now you're going to ask me to pay more to see one movie over the other. And if I'm the studios, take this to the studio level. If I'm a studio, a director, actor, what have you, how do you look at this and go, wait a second. So that movie deserves to be given a dollar or so more and mine doesn't? What, what's up with that? Eventually, that's going to become a problem. It might not be a problem right this second because you're like, okay, it's Batman. I get it. You're going to make a few extra bucks because everybody wants to see the Batman. Okay, that makes sense. What happens when this is just a maybe maybe it's a Marvel movie. Maybe it's a, you know, a big thriller. Maybe it's a big Disney movie at some point. And you're going to go, okay, so you're going to charge more for that, but not this. So where's my extra money? Because when you start playing with people's money, people are going to take notice. And eventually this is going to, and then you've already got fans saying, well, you know, how, this is going to overinflate the box office numbers for the Batman for people to go see it at AMC. And how is that fair for, you know, breaking records and such and things like that? And to be, and, and to be honest, I don't think the Batman's going to break any records. Not because I think it's going to be a bad movie or bad, badly received. Obviously, it's been very well received by a lot of critics and fans already. But I, I don't see it reaching Spider-Man No Way Home levels or some of the other big blockbuster movies just because. I, I just don't see it happening. I don't think it's that kind of movie. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's going to do very, very well. But I don't see it reaching that level. So I don't think that's, that's the issue here. I just There's a lot of reasons why this is a bad look and could set a bad and dangerous precedent. And plus, it's smacking the consumer in the face. That after all this time of not being able to do anything or go anywhere, now you're going to charge them more to see one of the biggest movies of the last couple of years where you can actually maybe possibly start feeling safe going to a movie theater again. I just think that's ridiculous. I did see an argument, a, a few people on social media posting, well, and think about this in terms of concerts. Okay, you go to see a concert, you're going to pay more to see a certain show than another show based on the lineup, based on who the headliner is, things like that length of show, blah, blah, blah. That's not a terrible point because movie theaters do charge the same price for all movies, and maybe you think that's an antiquated way of thinking. But now I will counter that by, by talking about sporting events. So obviously some games are better than others, when you're going to sporting events and, you know, especially when you've got some sports where the stars will take the night off for rest and things like that. What if sporting events, I'm not talking about scalped ticket prices. Okay. I'm talking about face value ticket prices, which are the same for every game. Okay. Look at that and say, okay, so you're going to charge me more to, to have me see my, my team play their rival or play one of the top teams in the league just because it's a better game. That's not that that wouldn't fly with season ticket holders. That wouldn't fly for people who want to go who who are purchasing tickets 
legally through the the ticket website or through the teams and things like that. That's not going to work. You it's it's the it's the same game. You're just it's just a different team. So how can you justify charging more to see one team than the other as a face value ticket? I'm not talking about third party apps. Okay, I'm talking about face value. That wouldn't happen because fans wouldn't stand for it. So why is it okay for this? I'm just saying dangerous precedent to set, bad look in a time where we're starting to maybe start to kind of creep back towards getting back to normal here and movie theaters becoming a regular thing again. And after all the whining and complaining and, you know, quite frankly, the sweating out of wondering whether or not movie theaters would be able to survive at all, not the time to be doing this, in my opinion. And no, I will not be going to AMC to see the Batman this weekend. I can tell you that much right now. Something you will be able to stay home to see is a new video game adaptation that's going to be coming to Peacock, and that is Twisted Metal is actually going to be coming to Peacock. The game's been around for over 25 years. very popular franchise, in case you're not familiar with it. Going to be coming from Sony Pictures Television and PlayStation Productions, teaming up with Universal Television for the show on Peacock. And guess what? Anthony Mackie already set the star in the series, going to executive produce as well. Will Arnett going to jump on board as an executive producer as well? No word on whether or not he's going to be joining the cast. But I got to tell you, this has good idea written all over. And if you're not familiar with Twisted Metal, the basic synopsis is that was provided. It's about a motormouth outsider offered a chance at a better life, but he can, but only if he can successfully deliver a mysterious package across a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And he's got a ha- trigger-happy car thief at his side. He'll have to face savage marauders driving vehicles of destruction on the open road. And guess what? Also a deranged clown who drives an ice cream truck. Yeah, it just uh, it's as crazy as it sounds, right? Whether you've played the games or not, you hear this and you go, oh, that sounds like fun. Then you bring in Anthony Mackie. Then possibly Will Arnett as well. I can't imagine he won't join the cast in some capacity. And this just looks like it, it could be a really fun thrill ride, like like... Mad Max meets, you know, with a with a comedic twist a little bit as well, or a little bit of a lightening up of things anyway, if, if not comedic. I, I got to say, this is a really, really good idea. And the fact that this is going to come to Peacock, I think another big deal, because when I think Peacock, this is not the kind of the show I think about seeing on that streaming service. So uh, this is maybe a great way for them to expand things as well and to start developing a relationship with Sony Pictures Television and PlayStation Productions. PlayStation Productions certainly has a wealth of IPs that they could share, and and I know that they're going to spread them across networks a little bit, but if you can get even a little bit of piece of that and show that it can be successful on your streaming service, you get more, that's only going to help you out. So this just, uh, to me, again, I'm not. I, I didn't play a ton of Twisted Metal. I can't pretend that I did. But everything that I know about it and everything that I have seen, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what they can bring to the screen with the Twisted Metal adaptation. So hopefully this is as good as it sounds like it could be. Not a ton of new trailers to talk about. There were some second trailers and featurettes and stuff released this week. But I do want to talk about all the old knives. It's going to be coming to Prime Video and theaters on April the 8th, we've got Chris Pine that's going to be a part of this one. You've also got Lawrence Fishburne. Thandway Newton is a part of this as well. And basically, it's a spy versus spy 
type story. There's a potential mole in the CIA. There were a lot of lives lost. And it's Chris Pine's character's job, is Henry Pelham is his name, to investigate things. And it maybe leads him to an old lover, Celia Harrison, who's played by Thandwee Newton. And that is where things really start to get interesting. You know, who did it kind of thing. You know, who's the one behind things. There's going to be, I'm sure, a lot of twists and turns in this thing. And in case the title sounds familiar, yes, this is based on the novel by Olin Steinhauer. And who also worked on the screenplay as well, Janice Metz, Metz is going to be doing the directing here. And it, it this does have your typical spy thriller vibe. And it, and it reminds you how well Chris Pine can play off in that genre. Because we haven't really seen him do that a whole lot recently. I actually haven't seen Chris Pine in a whole heck of a lot of anything. And then you add Lawrence Fishburne into the mix as sort of like the boss. It's really, really interesting. And this does have a Mr. and Mrs. Smith vibe to it. Also has a little bit of spy versus spy. That's actually one of the hashtags to promote the movie. So April 8th is when we're going to be able to see this one on Prime Video. And I'm always down for a good spy thriller. So yeah, go ahead and bring this one on. Really quickly, I want to talk about Legends of Tomorrow and the potential eighth season that we could be getting as of me recording this. There is no eighth season that's been announced so far, but we did see Booster Gold and Donald Faison introduced as Booster Gold in the season seven finale of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And that's a character that just makes a ton of sense for the show. I've never been a Booster Gold fan. I know that people think I'm crazy for that. Just not a fan of the character. The, the character's always annoyed me over the years, whether it be in comics video games, whatever. I'm just not a Booster Gold fan. I don't have to be a Booster Gold fan. I do. Th- if you're going to give me Donald Faison as Booster Gold, I'll certainly give it a chance because I'm a big Donald Faison fan, and I think he's super talented. And I do think he fits the role really well, and that character just fits in so well playing off of the legends, too. It's almost like, well, how has it taken this long for Booster Gold to get on DC's Legends of Tomorrow? And now that he's actually there... The show might not actually continue. I mean, the ratings were okay for the finale. I don't want to really get hold really deep into the ratings talk, but let's not also forget that the CW is in the process of potentially being sold as well. So it might be a while before we even hear about renewals and things like that. And could that mean DC's Legends of Tomorrow maybe ends up on another network as well for a potential potential eighth season? I do feel like the show kind of lost its way a little bit. This season, I mean, there was a lot of focus on Sarah and Ava, that, and especially in the early on portion of season seven, which I actually dug. But then, I don't know, the show just seemed kind of to, to lose its way just a little bit. It was still fun, and it was still very Legends, but this wasn't one of the stronger seasons, in my opinion, of the show. So, you know, not the best impression that you leave if you're going to be getting an eighth, an eighth season, but then you say, oh, well, Booster Gold, and look at where... We can go with this and, you know, maybe expand things for Zari even more than we already have. I'm not saying that the show shouldn't get an eighth season. I'm actually surprised it's gotten seven and wouldn't be surprised if it gets an eighth. But again, this is a good character to add to the mix. But is it too little too late? We'll have to wait and see. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guest this week, Ryan Parrott, joining me to talk about Rogue Son. Also, Simon Rasiopa for talking about The Boys presents Diabolical. You can get all that right now. Either where your comics are sold or, of course, go to Prime Video to watch The Boys Diabolical. Find out what we've got going on at downandnerdypodcast.com. Also on social media, 
at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Big announcement coming this weekend on Saturday, March the 5th, on our social media pages. Don't miss that. I'll talk more about that on the podcast next week as well. But don't forget, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.